Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Minnesota to speak with Colton Molesky of Locked On Wolves about the shock firing of Tom Thibodeau. We'll go to Memphis to speak with Mark Kings of Locked On Grizzlies about the Chandler Parsons news, the Justin Holiday trade, and the losing streak that the Grizzlies are currently in the middle of. And lastly, we go to Indiana to speak with Tony East of Locked On Pacers about a team that is flying under everyone's radar, the Indiana Pacers. It's all coming up the bigger stories with the local experts on locked on nba you are locked on the nba part of the locked on podcast network Hi guys, and welcome back to another Monday edition of the Locked On NBA podcast. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. Some big, big news in the NBA over the last couple of days. We're going to cover all of that for you in today's podcast, so let's get to it. Now I bring in the host of the Locked On Wolves podcast, who just a couple of minutes ago, uh, we both found out that the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, fresh off a big, big victory on Sunday, have uh, decided to uh, fire their president and coach, Tom Thibodeau. Colton Molesky is here. Colton, we all expected that Tibbs was going to get fired. Uh, I was expecting it to happen at some point in the offseason. I thought it should have happened there, but it appeared that things had settled down in Minnesota, but uh, apparently not. Yeah, this seems to be coming at the strangest of times, right, Josh? I mean, we all knew that there was going to need to be a shift, not only in coaching, but I think just in the front office in general in Minnesota. But to have this happen about the halfway mark here for the Timberwolves, it seems to be an odd spot for them just because you don't have the next guy to slide in. So you're going to be kind of in flux, even though they're putting some wins together, trying to push that eighth seed still. And you're going to throw another curveball at the Timberwolves, a team that's already had a couple of curveballs thrown at them to start out the season with all the drama that they had entering 2018-2019 season. It's a, it is it is a weird one this time again, and they come off a really really big victory over the uh, over the Lakers on Sunday as well. Um, the reports coming out that the, the management wanted to I guess uh, evaluate how the team did post Butler trade, and there's a sense of urgency that things aren't coming together as well as they would have hoped at this point. The current news is that Ryan Saunders, uh, son of Flip Saunders, will be the interim head coach. But the other news out at the moment, Colton, is that the Timberwolves are very interested in fired Chicago Bulls coach Fred Hoiberg. What do you make of all of that? I don't hate Saunders for the interim head coach spot. I think that it'll be just kind of a, a calming and a nice presence. I think that he's going to try and just keep the the boat above water and try and not make any crazy moves or anything like that. I think that he is going to be a pretty solid presence to come in after Tibbs. The problem is I think Hoiberg is definitely not the answer for this team. You just documenting his struggles in Chicago, not even with the product that they have on the court, but the struggles that have been going on in their locker room, whether you go to the young Chicago Bulls team they have now or to the older veteran-led team that they had a couple of seasons ago, there always seem to be drama and problems in the locker room and in a little bit of a, a disconnect between the player and the players and what Hoiberg was doing and execution 
that led to what was happening on the court. And so I don't think that Hoiberg is the answer there either for the Timberwolves. And I hope that they don't actually pursue him in a, in a serious nature. Well, the what's the, the latest report from Woj says that he's in serious a serious consideration of Minnesota owner Jim, Jim try again Glenn Taylor to become either the GM or the head coach in the future. Of course, at the moment Scott Layden is the GM, but you would imagine that Layden could be on the way out as well. Him and Tibbs were somewhat of a package deal. Do you do you think that'll be the case that they will move uh, Layden out of that GM spot as well? It sounds like that might be the way that this team is looking already just early on in this and totally cleaning house. And again, it all comes at a strange time because they were talking about the struggles that they're having early on the season and how they're trying to play through and fight through some of this stuff. And then it seems like Glenn Taylor woke up after a big win for his team and just decided, you know what, enough is enough. We've won two games straight here. Let's keep it going and shake this up. How do you think, like obviously when you know, opening night came and there was a, a very hearty chorus of boos for Tom Thibodeau from the Minnesota uh, fan base, how has the public reaction been to Tibbs since then? Has there been any softening on that or has Minnesota, Minnesota fan base just been you know, pretty much anti-Thibodeau basically this whole season and they've just been counting down the days until he's gone? It's been very negative. And it is really that mentality of counting down the days until he's gone. I mean, from... The minutes load that you have your stars playing that goes all the way back well documented to last year to the way he's playing rotations to maybe the choices he's making as far as starters versus who's coming off the bench to which players off the bench are playing bigger roles to how he's attacking opposing defenses how he's how he's orchestrating his defense I mean it's it's already a tough slope when you have a guy who's made his name on defense and he's consistently had one of the more poor defenses in the NBA for the last couple of seasons and then add into that just the the problems he's had, the head-to-head he's had with a lot of the stars on this team, whether you're going to Jimmy Butler or to Carl Anthony Towns with Wiggins, and then mix in that with all the trouble he's just had with the rotations, with figuring out which guys need to play more minutes. All, all that stuff, all the X's and O's, all the stuff going on off the court has just been a really negative experience as far as the, the Tibbs experience in Minnesota. And so you felt this was coming. You just didn't think it was going to be this soon. It was an interesting quote from Carl Anthony Towns on the weekend after putting up a, a huge line. And I'm going to be paraphrasing here because I don't have the quote in front of me. But he was saying something. Someone said to him that uh, Thibodeau had praised his performance. And he said, well, um, to get something positive out of Thibodeau, I must have played really well. And yeah, that's yeah, he might have said that partially tongue-in-cheek. But... To me, that that speaks to a disconnect between the, the coaching staff and the and the players. Players, do you think that this is somewhat going to be a, a freeing moment for these players? Who obviously, you know, we're, we're ground down not only just in in terms of playing time and and minutes load and and stress on their body, but you know, the, the mental uh, stress of I guess having constant criticism you know, fired their way. I think. I think that this is going to be a really crucial time for Carl Anthony Towns specifically because everything that has happened this season has lined up perfectly with the narrative of this is your team and we're backing you first before anything else. And this is a guy who has gone head-to-head a lot with Tibbs and has I have talked to guys who have been around the team a lot and this is a guy who definitely it was very obvious that he did not like Tibbs at all. And so everything that this team has 
has done, everything everything this organization has done from getting rid of Jimmy Butler to firing Tibbs has been about making this Carl Anthony Towns' team. This is Cat's team. This is Cat's squad. And so how he comes away from this, how he handles it right now, you don't have this guy bearing, you don't have the grumpy old man bearing down on you. Now what are you going to do over the next couple of weeks? What are you going to do to finish out the season? I think he has to come out and really play crazy. He's already been playing like a man with his hair on fire the last couple of weeks, but he has to really come out and play crazy good basketball and close out the rest of this season, finish the second half really, really strong because I think you need to, if you're, if you're cat, you need to make a statement that, yeah, I realize that you're putting this on my shoulders and I can indeed be the guy who can carry this load. And he has to, he has to make that statement right away out the gate. And I think that there's not too many better opportunities than going and playing the thunder here in their next game and showing out in a big way against a really good Western Conference team. Obviously, this is a big shock to everybody across the NBA and Minnesota fans. So we'll see how this all plays out over the coming days. Colton, you'll have all the news on this on Locked On Wolves. So thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA to give us an immediate reaction. Of course. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Josh. And yeah, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Wolves podcast because we'll be breaking this down a lot more thoroughly and we'll be talking about this as well as what the expectations are now around this team and what kind of the direction is for this. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. It's been a busy couple of days in Memphis for this team. We'll try and hit these things in as chronological order as I can uh, as I can remember them. The first incident in uh, in Memphis was a reported physical altercation between Garrett Temple and Omri Caspi. Mark, what actually went down there between those two? Was it just fueled by the losing streak? Is there more to it? What, what was the issue there between uh, Temple and Caspi? Yeah, you know, it was, it was more the football about losing and, and just frustration kind of boiled over, and, and it was against a team that uh, the Pistons that they really, you know, really should have beat. Um, and Omri and Garrett have known each other for quite a while. I'd heard, I'd heard about this thing happen when I was leaving the arena. I didn't, I didn't think it was true at first, and then I uh, got some confirmation after the arena that it was true. But um, it wasn't much of anything. It was more of an argument. Um, uh, Garrett. Uh, it started between two other players, and then Cassie, you went and Garrett, and then they kind of calmed down. And Omri was more kind of honorary about it after the fact than Garrett was. Garrett kind of moved on the next day. But, yeah, it was more, you know, they, I think they win that game, and, and you don't really probably have that. It's really just, you know, build up of, of losing uh, so many games and just playing so poorly as of late. Speaking of playing poor, poorly, we'll move to this now. The Grizzlies, you know, last time I think I had you on this show, they were riding high right atop the Western Conference. They've now lost five straight games. They're three games under 500, 18 and 21 at the moment. Um, yeah, there are a few games out of the playoffs, three games behind the Lakers in the eighth seed at the moment. Yeah, what what is what's the difference here? Is it the fact that perhaps teams were taking it a little bit easier on on Memphis to begin this season, underestimating them? Now they've you know really focused back in on trying to shut them down. Is it uh, issues with the the coaching? Yeah, what, what's actually going on here that's caused this? Yeah, pretty dramatic turnaround in their form. Yeah, it's a it's a combination of things, and it starts it starts at the top. You know, Marcus All at the beginning of the year was playing uh, better than he had his entire career. He's playing better defense he had than he, even than when the year he won the defensive player of the year, he was playing better than that. So uh, it started with him and, and really he, he rolled his, he rolled his ankle right after they got to 12 and five, he rolled his ankle the next game. And ever since then, it's kind of, he's, he's had a huge drop off in defense. He was going on, he was on a defensive rating at like 95 defensive ratings uh, per game for those first uh, 17 games. And the 21 cents, he's at about 110. So um, that, that's a huge factor. 
Um, and the other factor is their defense altogether has not been as good as it was. Um, and, and, you know, the, then you go to the coaching and a little bit just offensive scheme has been uh, left a lot to be desired. Uh, it has been some weird rotations uh, with Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, not playing in its games and just not playing as many minutes as they probably should. Uh, get people like Joe and Noah and Shelvin Mack playing entirely too many minutes. And then, then it just comes down to making shots. You know, this is a team that was – uh, not a good offensive team to start with. It was a below-average offensive team to start the year, but their defense was so good it was getting them through games. And Marcus Hall was playing on another level. Uh, and you take that away, uh, you take Marcus Hall away, you take their defense away, and, and, and the offense really is, you uh, shine a huge light on a, a really bad offensive team. And then uh, it comes down to players like Garrett Temple were playing great at the beginning of the year, and, and Garrett Temple is largely a role player. He's not a starter on a team. Uh, he comes back down to what he probably was always going to be. Uh, people like him and Shelvin Mack started out the year great, and then they kind of came back down to to earth, and and were probably where they always were going to end up. Uh, and you have you know all those things kind of combined into one, you know, just one bad mesh for the Grizzlies over the past couple weeks, and it's been a lot of losses. I think that's that's important to to mention about Temple and Mack, who are playing the best basketball of their career, really, and and for guys who are you know at the age of thirty or above. It's unlikely that they take those steps forward and it's able to continue. The Jaron Jackson thing has been puzzling to me from afar. The fact that you are giving these minutes to Jermichael Green, who is serviceable, but probably a seventh or eighth man at best. And you've got Jackson, who, you know, a transcendent rookie talent, is being limited there. Is there a lot of you know, rumblings, I guess, about about the coach and how he's handling these rotations? Yeah, absolutely. I, I did a, I did a piece on it uh, just last Friday. You know, JB is getting a lot of catching a lot of heat, and rightly so. He's had us a lot of weird rotations over the past month. You know, a lot of things that are happening in these losses are, are you know, can be attributed to, to JB. I mean, there's some, just some weird things going on. You know, not playing Jaron Jackson Jr. like you mentioned. Uh, Joe Camilla getting 15 minutes. Like, there's no reason. I mean, Joe Kim's no, Joe Camilla is not good at basketball. Neither is Shelvin Mack. And frankly, there's no reason for them to get any minutes. Um, but yeah, you, know, you have these just weird rotations where Jaron's either sitting on the bench or, you know, not playing at all. I mean, it, it, Jaron Jackson here should be getting 35 minutes. He's your, he's your third best player on the team. So, you know, while JB should get a lot of blame, you know, it starts with roster construction. You know, it starts with uh, guys that, like you mentioned, Garrett Temple, who is a starting two guard and playing 40 minutes a night, a career high for him uh, in minutes wise. You know, they're playing out of the roles. You're asking these guys to do way more than they probably should be. Uh, they're role players at best, Mac and Temple and, and Noah and these guys, these guys and Green as well. You're asking them to do too much. You're asking them to contribute too much. And it starts with roster construction that, you know, they had a hole in this hard roster. They go from kind of star players or, or higher end players to role players. There was no with that kind of B level player coming off the bench that could get buckets every night, and that's what they were missing or still missing, I think. You're talking about roster construction, they made a move to sort of adjust that roster construction, sending Wayne Selden and Marshawn Brooks to the Chicago Bulls to get Justin Holiday. He came off the bench in his first game. Do you envisage him taking Garrett Temple's spot in the starting lineup? Is he the guy who can fix what ails Memphis? I don't necessarily think he is. I think he's perhaps a little bit overvalued as uh, as what he is, but I do think he can be he better than now what Garrett Temple is. But I guess it's all going to come down to if uh, JB uh, believes that. How do you see Holiday fitting in with this team? Yeah, I mean they they traded two players and two picks for for Justin Holiday. It's too much. It's too much. That's overvaluing Holiday, and I, I understand. But from what I understand, they got into a bidding war, and the two picks are what got them Justin Holiday. But um, there are other players out there that are younger that you can probably take you know, getting to a bidding war as well. And I, I I like Justin so far. I like what I you know what I've seen from him. 
Um, he's a guy that will shoot the ball, not necessarily how he'll make it, uh, but he's, he's not he's not afraid to shoot the ball, and that's something the Grizzlies haven't really had. So um, it remains to be seen. He, he does move well without the ball. He does fill in gaps whenever Mike Conley's driving, which we've seen Justin last night, his debut in at the Spurs last night. Um, he does fill in space as well, but, uh, you know, for him to be effective, you know, he, he's got to make shots. He's definitely better than what they're rolling out there with Marshawn Brooks and Wade Stone Jr., for sure. Um, but long term, he's got to be—he's got to make shots. He's got to make threes to be effective, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that. And not necessarily at his fault. I think it's uh, more offensively. I don't know if they're going to have the offensive scheme to get him the ball in the spots that he needs. He's a pure spot-up shooter. He's—you know—he's really bad off the dribble. He takes a majority of his shots just sitting in the corner or just off—you know—just off a catch and shoot kind of thing. So um, it's not something the Grizzlies do well as far as getting you know, shooters open for catch and shoot shots. So. Uh, that remains to be seen. I don't know if, you know, I think their intention is to try to re-sign him this summer. And I think if they don't, then you become looking at a trade that in, in hindsight that's even worse because you gave up assets. and whatever. You give up assets to get someone like Justin Holiday who is maybe a for the end of the year. Last bit of news, Mark, that just broke about five minutes before we started recording this is that the Memphis Grizzlies and Chandler Parsons. Parsons will be away from the team as they figure out his future. He's been medically cleared since December 21. It appears that his time in Memphis is over and he will not play um, uh, for this team again. I guess it's really hard to know details because it's just come out, but what, what can you shed? What light can you shed on this Parsons situation? Yeah, Chandler's been cleared for quite a while. He uh, was asked by the team to go down to the Hustle, which is a G League affiliate, and do a couple of games stint there. Uh, he refused to do that, and uh, his management believed that he didn't have to do that. I, I get it from both sides. I get the Grizzlies asking him to go down there because they want him to prove that he can play just a few games before they put him back in the rotation. Also, get it from the Grizzlies, or his point of view, he views that these players ahead of him, he can help right now. But as you said, news just broke that they're going to separate ways. Um, the Grizzlies have all the cards here because they can just they can just keep them on an, an inactive roster and, and just continue to pay the contract that they were always going to pay. Um, and so it, it's up to Chandler. If, if he really wants out and he wants out right now, um, then they can work on a buyout and he can take a lot less money. If it doesn't matter to him, he can stay on the inactive roster for another two years and make the $38 million that, the, that he's owed by the Grizzlies. So it's up to Chandler. And the Grizzlies have all the cards so they can continue to – to drag this out and just say, well, you're going to be inactive. You weren't helping us all this year. You've only played three games this year. You've done nothing anyway. Uh, we've got here without you. So we just continue to pay the contract like we always plan on doing. It's up to Chandler what he wants to do next. All right, that's going to be something to, interesting to monitor. A ton of stuff going on in Memphis. So Mark, we'll have all that covered for you over on Locked on Grizzlies. Mark, thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it, man. I'm joined now by one of the hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. It is Tony East. We're here to talk about one of the uh, one of the hottest teams in the NBA that I think, Tony, a lot of people may not realize the Pacers winners of six straight at the moment, sitting with a 26-12 and 12 record, number three in the Eastern Conference, ahead of both the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics. Does it ever surprise you, I guess, how well this team is actually playing? Yeah, it does, actually. Um, you know, they like... They played the Sixers last month, and the Sixers are a matchup nightmare for them, and they had no problem beating the Sixers. Uh, they played the Raptors last month. They lost by three, but they played substantially better than the Raptors for 35 minutes of that game. Uh, they beat the Bucks by almost 20 points last month. You know, I like you know this team is good, and they still find a way to surprise you against these stars. They're they're well coached, they're disciplined, and they have a lot of good players, and they're winning a lot of games. So what's what's driving it? We know that Victor Oladipo hasn't quite been the same player he was last season. He's missed time with that knee injury, which 
I guess when it happened, there was thoughts, and is this going to derail the pace of season? But they were recovered from that. So it's not just all Oladipo driven. What's the the major cause here of this team being able to be? Look, they were strong last season. We've got no doubt about that. But a lot of people thought maybe there was some smoke and mirrors involved there. People underestimated them. You know, what's changed this season? What is, what's the driving force behind this team being a, a real powerhouse? Yeah, they really have a nine-man rotation where every single one of those guys, A, fits well together, and B, is an above-average NBA player. And it doesn't help that they're top, or it does help that they're top seven. Uh, so if you add in DeMontis, Savonis, and Corey Joseph are all starting-level players. So at any given moment, they have basically three starting-level players on the court at all times. And they're all su- such good defensive players, except for Doug McDermott, who actually has done some good defensive stuff this year, that they can uh, – be so strong on one end of the floor that it makes their offense good enough when they can get steals. Um, but at all times, just having, you know, smart players who have positive impacts all the time, you know, they're just so hard to stop. Like their, their worst lineup is still a plus just because every player is uh, is an above average player with some real skills. Let's talk about the way DeMontis Sabonis has played. And I guess that the center rotation there, Miles Turner, was relatively disappointing last season. He actually started this season off not that well. But that dynamic between those two guys playing together, playing both at the center position as well, has been a real key that the defensive work of the Pacers, especially in that big man position, has been has been impressive. What what has Sabonis been doing? Is anything different he's doing this season? Why is he such a matchup nightmare for second units in particular? Yeah, he just is a has a more refined post game. Like if you think about last year with Indiana in Oklahoma City, he's played power forward the whole year, right? So last year was really his first season in the NBA where he was a center. So it was almost his rookie year in that way. And then this year he's able to, you know, he's able to focus on refining the things he's bad at and and transport what he wasn't good at and making him okay at those things. And you can really tell. Uh, his usage rate is up big time, not big time, like 2%, but still his usage rates up from last year. Uh, they run stuff through him and growing up, you know, he's always been a pretty good inside outside guy. He can pass the ball and the Pacers have really found him a role that caters to his skills, which is just, you know, battering roll, battering Ram, pick and roll strategy where, you know, he's the passer, you know, he gets the ball rolling and he is the passer. He's the creator and he's super good at that. His assist percentage is obscenely good for a center. Um, and he cleans up every rebound on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, his, his per 36 rebounding numbers are, are just insane. I think it's like 14. Um, so he just, he just does like everything well, and they do a good job of putting him in a role where he's able to do the things he does well every single time down the floor on both ends. Miles Turner, again, was, was yeah, roundly criticized last season, especially the way he ended last year where he just couldn't really get anything going, couldn't grab a rebound, couldn't score, looked lost at times. But he has been a real key part, averaging almost three blocks per game this season. You know, Sky-high defensive box score plus minus as well. You're really turning in comfortably the best basketball of his career. Is there been more of a, of a focused effort from Turner on the defensive end, um, especially on the glass as well, something which he'd been you know, criticized for with his inability to grab rebounds, his rebound percentages up almost two percent uh this season has it been a i guess a more focused effort for him there has he been more aggressive because that was one of the criticisms that he seemed you know, relatively passive on that end of the court or, or in attacking those rebounds yeah his you know all summer he spent uh in the gym doing yoga and a little bit of lifting and he, he really got his body more nimble and strong and for him, that has just been exactly what he needed, not to become this offensive player that everyone seems to think he could be, although his offense in December was sensational. But it really took his defense from really good to elite. Um, now, like you just said, he's blocking an, a league-leading number of shots per game, and it'd be the highest number in the NBA since 2015-16, uh, Hassan Whiteside. Uh, and yes, he, he has substantially improved at, at 
something you just mentioned is when he goes for the block, you know, in the past when you're young, it's just like, okay, block possession over. Now when he goes for it and he doesn't get it, he's figured out how to get back into good rebounding position, uh, which is a skill that has long escaped him for a long time. And when you're so good at forcing misses when you protect the rim, you know, the next step is getting the miss. And now that he's able to do that, like you just said, 2% better than he's ever been able to do. Well, really 1% than ever before, but 2% better than last year when he really struggled that way. Um, that's just been huge, especially because a lot of that's coming on the defensive end of the floor. So, yeah, his de- his defensive refinement has really been what has skyrocketed his total impact. But in December, uh, his offense was amazing. He averaged something like 15 and a half points and nine and a half rebounds per game. And his it was some of the best passing he's ever had. He shot 50 percent on the nose from three. Um, it's a shame that he did break his nose because that slightly you know derails his 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 month. And now he has a shoulder injury. And who knows if he'll play against the Raptors in a few in a few hours, but he had a really good month. He's figured it out on both ends of the floor. And with Savonis doing what he does too, they always have a starting caliber center. Who's very good on the floor at all times. The, I guess the, the, the Nate McMillan hire was, wasn't necessarily, you know, roundly panned, but it also wasn't roundly praised, but he has been uh, you know, really impressive over these last couple of seasons. In particular this season, I think you're yeah, being able to take this team to another level than where they were last season without that surprise factor. Do you think that he is still getting, I guess, underappreciated and should he be in the discussion for the coach of the year at this point? Uh, you know, I think so personally because, I mean, it's not a fluke anymore, right? Like, you know how good this team is and he's still able to succeed. But he's just so good at setting up guys to be in the right scenario uh, at night in and night out. And they don't change their starting lineup ever, but they change, you know, what the rotation is. Not, like, substantially, but, like, who the first – the second sub is off the bench or who the first starter to come back in is or who closes, you know. That kind of stuff changes every game, and it's matchup dependent, and it's only sort of riding the hot hand, but he's super good at getting the, the right lineups out there for every situation against every team just to set up all of his players to succeed. And he's always been a good player development coach, and they have a good balance of younger guys who are clearly learning to do things like Don McDermott playing not awful defense and – you know, Turner, like we just talked about doing some stuff better, same with Sabonis, and getting veterans to buy into stuff that they've never done before. So he he really is good at a lot of things that are important for a team like the Pacers who thought they were going to be rebuilding, but instead are really good. McMillan's been the perfect guy for them. Um, and yeah, coach of the year buzz is warranted for any coach who's got their team to have the third best record in the NBA, right? So um, I think if you think of it in that way alone, he definitely deserves a, a look for the award. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a team that is you know, playing as well as they are and just constantly taking up to the better, taking it up to the better teams in the NBA. You should be in that discussion. The Pacers have been a, a team that people need to watch more of because they are playing really well. And Tony will have that covered for you all across on Locked On Pacers. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. That wraps it up for another edition of Locked On NBA here on a Monday. Make sure you are telling your smart speaker to play whatever your favorite Locked On podcast is across the whole NBA network and, of course, your favorite NFL team as well just by saying play podcast Locked On with your favorite team. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and check out the rest of the podcast network on Locked On NBA Net on Twitter and on Instagram. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.